Welcome to Parkview. The Lord be with you. Really good to have you here. Um, that song got to me, I got to admit. Wasn't that awesome? Um, I mean, what a great set period. And just, man, as I think about all the things that God has done in my life, it's amazing. It's what we're going to do today. We're just going to chat, okay? There's no sermon. I just thought, I mean, thought, thought somebody would go, woohoo, or something, you know, all right? Just going to chat because, you know, we're, we're almost to the end of a, of a big cannonball campaign that we got done. And I just wanted to spend a little bit of time and tell you how faithful God has been in, in, in everything that we have done. And I also want to tell you that I think we can do more. Okay, I'm always one of those guys that thinks we can just do a little bit more, you know. Like, like for example, I think I could probably get more out of my car. I found some pictures of people who did it better than me, right? Um, you know, I, I mean, I... There's always more bikes you can put on top, more trash, right, whatever. Uh, yeah, that guy uh, did a little too much. His shocks blew out. But, yeah, but I, I like it. Put the boat in the trunk, honey. We're going. I mean, I don't even know. How, and that's in the sand. How does that even work? Um, and then, of course, if you're a farmer, you can always do this, right? Okay. I, I just want you to understand that I think we could get more out of our car, and I think we could get more out of this church, even though uh, you, you look around at the service, it's kind of full because there's like some game on at noon or something. And, 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 and I know that, you know, you're like, wait, how can we do more? How can we do more? I just want to talk about the church in general. If you're not from Parkview today, you're listening to me on the internet. Shout out to you. Uh, shout out to Brianne listening in Nicaragua. I got a note from her this week. So cool. So many different stories. Uh, we're going to start a new series next week called Why. I had one week I could do this little vision thing. Next week we start Why. Uh, why God? I'm going to preach all of them except for bringing in this little known guy named Lee Strobel who's going to come in one week and talk about the case for the Creator, okay? That's going to be that's going to be this series. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, he'll be in the 25th, 26th weekend of October. Why God next week? Now let's talk about it. Why should I believe in God? Why Jesus? Okay. Why is there suffering? Uh, you know, been, I've been reading some great new stuff on that. Really, really hard subject. All these different hard subjects. Why do we believe the Bible? Why science and Christianity? Why that problem? And that's what Lee's going to do. So, so I had time today. Just I want to invite you back for that. And I just want to say right now, this, this series coming up is going to be the perfect series to invite somebody that, that doesn't have God. I mean, I had a neighbor that had a loss in there, and I was visiting with them yesterday, and I was like, you've got to come to this next series, because there's going to be a lot of things we're going to talk about that are going to be really important to you. So start thinking about that right now. Today, let's just talk about um, how faithful God is, and let's talk about doors, okay? We have doors to do one of two things, either to keep things in or to keep things out, right? Um, to keep things in, like... Uh, the, the, the kids, right, or the heat or the air conditioning, right? When you were a kid and you would come in from playing and you would leave the door open, your dad would say, were you born in a barn, right? I'm okay. Classic father statement, which I guess kind of makes a little bit of sense because barns are drafty, but I was always like, dad, if I was born in a barn, you're a lousy father, man. You couldn't afford a hospital. I mean, what, how, how, how is that possible? And I also knew my Bible because I grew up in the church and I, you know, when I, when I would do this, dad, I would say, were you born in a barn? I would say, no, but Jesus was. And if it's good enough for my Lord and Savior, it's good enough for me. <laughs> Yeah, and that's when I would hear that familiar sound. Shwa, 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 shwa. <laughs> Do- doors are for keeping things in, and, and doors are also for keeping things out. 
The Apostle Paul in the New Testament used the door metaphor a lot for the opportunity for the gospel. And a lot of times, most of the time Paul went somewhere, he would go and find the door was closed. Most of the time, he would go to a a, a city or a village and the people would either ignore him or at best they would, at best or at worst, they would arrest him, they would beat him, they would throw him out of the city and close the doors. And that's kind of how it went for him. It was closed doors everywhere he went. He spent his entire ministry doing this closed door thing. As a matter of fact, a couple of passages in Colossians, he said, pray for us too that God may open a door for the message so we can proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. You know, I, 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 I don't mind being in chains, Paul saying, but I wish, God, I wish God would help us through the door and I wish you would pray about it. He told the Corinthian church, I hope to spend some time with you, but I'm going to stay in Ephesus right now because a great door of effective work has opened for me. Like, like I mean, great door open for effective work is like cracked open right there. What does he go on to say? And many have opposed me. Many are opposing me. Okay? The, the whole context of, of Paul's ministry has been, I'm going to be working in closed door situations. I'm going to be working places where people are not going to want to be around me. And, and I think just once he would probably have loved to have gone to a place where he could say, I'm preaching to people who are hungry for the Word of God. I'm preaching to people who, you know, really want to change their life. I'm preaching in places where I don't have to be in prison for what I'm doing. And I bring that up today because, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly where we live. I mean, this is exactly where we live. Pardon the old illustration, but I would love to do a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure thing sometime and, and go back in time and get the Apostle Paul and bring him here and let him see what's going on. You know, forget about Abraham Lincoln. Let's go get the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul could come back up and he would preach to us and he would say, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Translated, that is. Be excellent to each other. Stay with me on Bill and Ted, okay? We're still in Bill and Ted. Be excellent to each other. He would preach that sermon. And then, when he got done, he would go backstage and he would go, what? That was awesome, Tim. I can't believe your audience. I can't believe this, this building. How can you only preach five times a weekend? It doesn't make any sense to me. How could you only preach ten times on Easter and ten times on Christmas? Man, go take a nap and get back in there. This is unbelievable. I, I mean, I think that the, the church of the first century would look at us and go, I can't believe the opportunities that you have. You don't have to die because of your belief. You don't have to go to jail because of your belief. You have a building. We never had a building. You have an awesome building. You have a band. You have a corner location with a lighted orange sign telling everybody where you are. This is amazing. I think they would be in a... They would, and I don't know why it's orange. I don't know, I don't know any more than you do. They think they would be... I think they would be like a kid in a candy store. They, they would just be like, this is unbelievable. And you know what? So am I. I'm like a kid in a candy store these days. Because people are telling me everywhere we go, people are saying, hey, here's an opportunity for the gospel. And I'm like, cool, sign us up. Because i got ADHD, so I'm just, I'm just warning you. And if you're going to follow me, if I'm, you're, if I'm going to be your pastor, you just have no idea where we're going to go. Because I don't really either. Here's what happened this week. Here's what happened this week. We were out in, I was out in California, Bill and I were in California because we're working with Saddleback on this project that, uh, that I'm in charge of for this convention this next year and, and Rick Warren is helping us, he's going to write the forward in my book, it's just unbelievable stuff going on out there and we're having lunch uh, with Rick Warren and a couple of his staff and he starts telling me uh, about, you know, we just went to Rwanda with him and we were so impressed with how awesome the peace plan is and how much the, the country has worked together because the president and the government's involved in Rwanda and I've told you how it's 
unbelievable. I mean, you just would not believe going to Rwanda to see it 19 years past the genocide where half the country was displaced. And he said, hey, guess what? The president of Malawi called me. And uh, it's a woman, and she's evidently a Christian woman, and she called Rick Warren and she said, could you do for us in Malawi what you did in Rwanda? And Rick said, no, 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 don't clap yet. Rick turned to me and Bill and said, why don't you guys take it? I'm not making that up. I don't know where Malawi is. But I said, sure, we'll take Malawi. And I've already found a whole bunch of connections along the way. I mean, you know, it, it, the idea is we want to be able to take these people in Rwanda and what they've done and help spread it out. We're going to go to Kenya where we're already working in Nairobi. And evidently, I'm going to try to get involved with the Malawi government, which is actually a little bigger than Rwanda. We're going to try to help them. They've got a lot of AIDS. There's a lot of great stuff that we can do. So, so, you know, when something like that comes along, all I can say is that's just like, you know, it's just like, bam. I mean, that's a whole African country that God has opened the door for. What are we going to do? How are we doing back home? Outreach Magazine comes out with their list of largest and fastest growing churches. And uh, we were on both lists again this year. We were the 50, I don't know, 52nd fastest growing church in the country this last year. And, uh, and uh, we were also the 100... Uh, we're the 76. We're the 76th largest church in the country now. Um, keep growing. We keep reaching more people. It's really hard to b- imagine because it, less than 10 years ago, uh, or, well, a little bit over 10 years ago, we were we were thinking about this church and it was small and we were trying to figure out what we could do and we were thinking about relocating and we read Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Church, where he talked about. You know, the, the, the way that you do ministry and the way you do work with God is you don't try to create a wave to surf on. You go find a wave and you surf on the wave that God has, has already created. And when I think back now that we've been seven out of the last ten years on the hundred fastest growing churches list, evidently God gave us a wave and we found it and we've been riding it. We're going to ride it for all it's worth. That's what we're going to do, okay? But, but, but you've got to ask this question because I know, I know in the back of your mind, like, well, well, you know, does having a lot of people or having more people mean we're on the right track no 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 having a hundred people on your truck doesn't mean you have a good truck it just means you have a lot of people on your truck you just saw that picture now numbers don't matter unless we're making disciples who are helping us make disciples that's the only thing that matters but Perry Noble says it really well he says every number is a person and every person is a story so that's why numbers are important Two years ago, we uh, jumped into this cannonball campaign. A cannonball is where you jump into the water off a diving board and you tuck and you make a big splash. And not only do you make a big splash, but you make a wave. And so we gathered together and we prayerfully considered what God was asking us to do. And I got out on a diving board and I said, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to jump in. You know, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to make a splash. And, and I want you guys to join me because if I jump in and make a splash and make a wave, it's going to be, you know, this kind of a wave. But if we do this all together, we can make this kind of a wave. And it could go all the way to Malawi. It could go all the, you know, all the way to places we don't really even know about yet. Interestingly, I looked up the stats. The, can- the Christmas before Cannonball, we had 11,300 people for Christmas. The Christmas, this last Christmas, just two years later, we had 18,000. We've had over 1,100 baptisms in those two years. Yeah, we're making waves. We're planting churches. <clears throat> 
we're planting churches. My daughter and son-in-law are out in Ventura at the church that we planted doing a, a residency so that they can come back and help us plant in Chicago. And that church is running 450 people in Ventura, California in two years. It's unbelievable what God has done. And we're getting ready to plant in Chicago. I've got a big meeting tomorrow morning up in Glen Ellen with some of the area churches. We're going to bind ourselves together. The thing we learned about the peace plan that was so important was that, I mean, everybody was working together. The Catholics, the Anglicans, the Seventh-day Adventists, everybody was working together for the common good of Christianity. And it's amazing what can be done. And we're going to be doing that here. We're going to plant downtown. You'll get to meet our, uh, our church planter that's going to plant down in the Wicker Park area. Uh, Derek Puckett, he's going to be preaching for me in November. He's African-American because we really think we've got to start making this diversity thing happen better, especially downtown. And he'll be there. We've been doing some building. I mean, I'm just going to run through some of the stuff we've done. If you didn't come in on this side, you've got to see all the stuff that's going on. We're going to have a chapel where we can finally, you know, have weddings and funerals and where we'll have opportunity for more people at our big services and we'll have a lot of foyer space and it's laying out cool, a lot of connecting space because that's so important to us. Uh, we've done 1,100 child sponsorships in those two years. And Sean Mixon, our missions pastor, you can go out and see the board out there and see what's going on. Our missions pastor was just in Ecuador. He said, you can't believe how much we've transformed this village. We built them a school, built them a church, hired them a pastor, and sponsored 250 of their kids. So basically we went in and just blew this village up for Jesus. And he said, it's unbelievable. And he said, tell the people not to forget to write their kids. Because one little letter from you changes their life. So, So make sure you do that. Whether your kids are in Africa or through compassion or whatever, make sure you do that. We've had 181 people go on international missions trips and many more locally. I'm proud of that. I want all of you to do that. We started work on a safe house. There's a passion in my heart because I'm a father of daughters and my daughters, it's real dear to them that, you know, that we help these girls that are caught in the sex trade industry. And uh, so we've set out to do something about it. Believe it or not, Chicago is the third largest sex trafficking city in the United States of America. And it's way bigger than you think. I mean, if you think about the prostitution side of it and, and, the, and the pimps that, that literally, you know, keep these girls in bondage one way or another, it's a big industry. And we wanted to come up with a place where we could help rescue them because there's no place for them to go. And we've been working on it, and it's a slow process, but we've been working. You have to work with law enforcement. You have to work with federal and state agencies. I mean, this is not, you can't just go, you know, throw up a a building and say, hey, you guys all come. And there's all kinds of gang-related things that you've got to work through. And we've been working with some organizations, and it's going remarkably well, remarkably well. And the really cool thing is that there is a house that has been offered to us to be able to use for this, which we wouldn't even have to buy, a house that will allow us to be able to do this. So this thing is running along a lot faster than I thought it really would. At Lockport, we've got another campus at Lockport. They had their fifth anniversary last weekend. Isn't that awesome? I can't believe how fast that's gone. And I know a lot of you are like, I didn't know we had a campus at Lockport. Let's just watch the video and look at the fifth anniversary celebration. Hey, what were you doing five years ago? Alright, that's not fair. Most of us don't know what we were doing five days ago, let alone five years ago. But I do know what I was doing. I was getting ready to open these doors right behind me to launch the first service at Parkview Christian Church, the Lockport campus. Well, I can tell you this. From the first chord that we played to the first lesson that we taught upstairs for their kids, 
to the first a guest bag that we gave out to somebody that came through the door. We did everything with one purpose, and that purpose was to win people to Jesus. Now, as we look back on five years, it's an exciting time. But what I am most excited about is that this campus didn't wait for people to come to it. We went to the community. We were in the community through churches left the building. We brought people inside the building with great events like vacation Bible school and concerts. But we did it all so that we might bring people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm proud of this campus. I'm proud of the people that work so hard, that serve so hard, that give so faithfully because they did it out of the heart of Christ, the heart wanting to know more about who He is. Shout out to those of you who are watching at our Lockport Campus Grand Opening. incredible uh, I'm so proud of them I'm so proud of you guys and here's the cool thing next weekend they start a Sunday night service at Lockport so here's what I want you to do okay if you come from that direction or you got people over that direction tell them about it let them know what's going on we have a whole new venue for them on Sunday night it's gonna be awesome it'll be at five o'clock over there uh, like we have our 545 over here but what I did in cannibals I got out on the end of the board and I said let's jump in and let's do this together I often think what it would be like if 2.5 billion Christians across the globe could jump in together on what kind of a wave what kind of of a tsunami that we would be able to create for God. And, and I look around me and I see the doors. You know, I was thinking about this all week. All I can think of is Monsters, Inc. You know, when I think about the doors that are open to the gospel, I mean, it's like they're everywhere. I don't know which one to pick. They're all over. And here's what I understand. I understand this about church history. Eventually, all great churches have a life cycle, and we will have a life cycle at some point. A hundred years from now, chances are this won't be a church. You look back at the church of Corinth or Ephesus or Philippi or whatever back in the Old Testament or back in the New Testament, and they weren't, they're, they're not there anymore. Uh, chances are a hundred years from now, we won't be here. I sure know I'm not, and you're probably not going to be either. So guess what? What are we supposed to be doing with the doors? We're supposed to be creating a movement. That's what, that's what a wave is. That's what cannonball is. We create a movement. We train our kids, and then they train their kids, and we go on and on and on. The things that we do, the things we do in Malawi or whatever we end up doing, that's a movement that keeps going after we're gone. And we're building that into our kids, and we're building that into the next generation. And because of what we give away, because we give away over a million dollars a year, and we do all these missions projects, that's what has to happen, is we create a movement. 
And I, I, the older I get, the more this verse means to me. As long as it is day, we must do the work of Him who sent me, because night is coming when no one can work. Now, I mean, we have a little window here. That's all there is. We've got a little window, and, and we've got to make it happen. So what do we do? Well, um, you've heard me say this a lot lately, but I uh, have to unveil, unveil it to you. Um, my mantra these days is we're supposed to bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. It's really that simple. We're supposed to bring heaven to earth. So what is that? that that's like that, that Jesus said, your will be done, Lord. We pray this on, on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we want. So it's our job as Christians to go help with the, with the gangs, to, to go help with the prostitutes, go, to go help with Malawi, to go help with the people that need heaven to come to earth because that's supposed to be connected. And then we're also supposed to go and take earth to heaven meaning all of the church plants, all the mission things that we do, everything that we do is supposed to be done in Jesus' name so that because someday this earth is never going to be good enough, we're going to get to go to heaven, we need to make sure that everybody's ready. And, and I believed in it so much that I got it tattooed on my arm. There you go. Heaven to earth, earth to heaven. And yeah, that's kind of our Park View logo. I, I took a long time trying to figure out what I was... I don't think you can see that very good. Maybe you ought to zoom in a little bit, a little bit better. There you go. That's better. Okay. Um, I, believe, I believe in it so much that I got it on my arm. And, and sometimes people are like, well, what if Tim moves away? I can't move away. I got the logo tattooed on my arm. Okay? This has got to be it. And, and, and hey, right up front, I know some of you are against tattoos, and that's cool. If you live at home, you can't get a tattoo until you get out of the house. Just deal with it. Okay? I was 51 before my mom let me. And she didn't really ever let me, but I was 51. Okay? And, and I know some of you have a problem with tattoos, and, and that's okay. Just don't use biblical reasons, because there are no biblical reasons. Can I just say that? In Leviticus, it says you're not supposed to mark yourself for the dead. Okay, it was very, very specific kind of a marking thing that was going on with tattoos. Plus, if you're going to use Leviticus, that's right before the Scripture that says you shouldn't wear mixed fabric. So don't go looking down your nose at somebody that's got ink if you're wearing cotton poly blend socks, okay? Because it's the same exact thing. It's the same chapter. I just want to say, all right? I just want to say that. For the first 700 years of church history, people had cross tattoos a lot. I mean, they did the cross thing a lot because they wanted to identify themselves. And then the church came along at some point and said, nope, no more tattoos. That's, you know, that's not good. That, I mean, it's kind of like the fish on Friday thing, okay? I know some of you are still mad about it. It's not in the Bible, okay? Somebody made that up. You can, you can eat all the steak on Friday you want to if according to the Bible. I mean, if you want to do something, that's what I'm saying. It's one of those extra biblical rules. And you can decide how you want to with it. Really, ultimately, the only real problem to me with tattoos is this cartoon. When it's 2055 and we're sitting around playing, guess what the tattoo used to be? <laughs> A heart? <laughs> so, so we bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. You get it? That's what the new chapel's for. That's what the new campuses will be for. That's what the church plants will be for. Because we, and we bring heaven to, and we bring earth to heaven. We bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. And earth to heaven is this verse about the door right here. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, I'm the door. If you come through me, you will be saved. And you will go in and out and find pasture and everything will be wonderful if you come through the door. That, that's what the whole thing is supposed to be about. 
All right. I, I told you briefly, and I, I won't spend a bunch of time on it, but I'm working on a project. I'm a, I'm a president of this church leader convention in July in Indianapolis. I'll get you details because I'd love for you to come down. Um, got a great lineup of people, a lot of our favorites like Tim Hawkins and Strobel and Rick Warren's going to be there and, and, and a bunch of other people. But, but, but I put this project together because I, it, it, the, the, theme, I, the theme that we chose for this convention is remission. It's time to remission the church. It's about all this. It's because, the, you know, 95% of the churches in the U.S. didn't win a single convert last year. Most of the churches in the U.S. are dead. And so we want to remission the church. And as a part of that, we've come up with some uh, curriculum that we uh, filmed. And we've basically come up with a 40 days of mission campaign for churches to be able to use. So that they can leave this convention and be inspired and go back and preach on it for six weeks. And have DVD curriculum and have everybody talk about this mission uh, of bringing heaven to earth and taking earth to heaven. And, and it's just blowing up on me. I was, with, I was with publishers this week. Like I said, Rick Warren was in on it. I really appreciate your prayers on it because so many things are going on there. But that's my heart. That, that's what it's supposed to be about. And we're not only going to do it here, we're going to make sure that other churches understand how to do it, how to transition, how to remission their church so that they can take earth to heaven with them as well. But, but the question for you is, well, how do I fit into this whole thing? All right. What, what am I supposed to do? And all I would say is, I want you to look for the places where the doors are open in your life. I want you to pay attention. What doors are open? Is it, is it in relationships? Is it in treasure? Is it with my talent? What, what kind of things are going on that I can be a part of? It might just be creaked open. It might be like that graphic where there's just a little bit of light. But I want you to look around. I want you to look for the light of, of what God is doing in different places and step through it. Okay? The world is full of people who said, you know what, that's a nice open door, but somebody else can have Malawi. That's a nice open door, but somebody else can do that. The world is full of those people. This is my favorite illustration of that. This is the winner of the Not My Job Award, right? I'm just the line guy. I'm not the possum scraper, okay? So that's all there is. That's all I'm going to do is paint the lines over it. And, and I believe that that's... A, I may be a little passionate about this, but that's what we're supposed to be about. All of us are supposed to be about that. I think that if the Apostle Paul came back, he would say, man, I can't believe the doors that are open. And I think the second thing he'd say is, man, I can't believe how complacent Christians are. I mean, there's all these doors open and everybody's like, it's not my job to clean up the possum. I, I l- listen to the scripture that you've probably heard at some point along the way, and I just want you to, I want to I check how you hear this. Jesus said, All authority in earth is in heaven has been given to me. So here's what I want you to do go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I'm with you to the end of the age. Now, I think for some of you, you know, you get that baptized part and you, you grew up in a, in, a, in a church system where, you know, like only certain people were supposed to baptize, only the priests or only the pastors. And I think a lot of Christians look at that verse and they think, well, you know, that's about the clergy. That's about, you know, the, that's about the professionals. That's not about us. And that's not true. You know, we don't believe that in any way. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. And we believe that Jesus said for all of us to go and to make disciples. And Jesus told none of us to sit 
and to stay. And, and my concern is that as you hear those words, you think, yeah, the church ought to do that. Yeah, Malawi, great door, whatever, whatever ends up happening. I, I think that's wonderful. I've heard that before. I hope somebody else does a really good job with it. For me, it's, it's, this, uh, it's the idea of, you know, what you'll be doing a little bit later on today, but let's go to the Super Bowl. It, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and you start watching the pregame, which starts at like 5 a.m. now, right? And, and you're watching the pregame, and they finally get to the locker room, and you're sitting there in your easy chair with your beverage of choice and your, you know, chips, and you're, you're sitting back, and you're just like watching, and they go into the locker room, and you see the pregame you know, speech from the coach. And the coach is looking at each player and he's all hyped up on Mountain Dew, you know, he's all jacked up and he's like, we got to do this. This is the game we work for all of our life. Some of you may never be here again. You got to lay it on the line. There is no tomorrow. Win one for the Gipper. Every cliche he can possibly think of, right? And he finally says, if you follow this game plan, if you do what we have practiced and everyone does their best, I guarantee you we will walk away with the ring. Now all hands in the middle, let's go Bears. It's a hypothetical story. Hypothetical. I'm just being hypothetical, okay? All right. My, my concern is that the guy in the easy chair who's sitting back with his beer and his pretzels is going, oh, that, was, that was a really good speech. But I know I don't really, you know, have anything to do with the outcome of this game. And I might have my lucky jersey or, you know, I, I might get pray, but, you know, I, th- that talk is not for me. And that's how I think a lot of people listen to the Great Commission. It's like, oh, that, that's a great speech, Jesus. I hope those preachers go out, and, you know, I hope those missionaries go out and make disciples and do all that stuff. That's not how this is supposed to be. Jesus said, this is for all of us. And if that's how you read the Great Commission, if that's how you hear the Great Commission, that you're in the living room, I just need to tell you, you, you need to get off the lazy boy you need to get into the game because this takes all of us. So what does it mean? Well, I, I, I didn't come up with a specific thing. It's like this wasn't a big build up to, okay, here's what we need you to do because there's a lot of things we need you to do. Obviously, we need you to give. I'm going to say that. The cannonball thing was about raising more finances so that we could do the additions and do the extra things that we're doing and projects that we didn't even know were yet to come. Obviously, we need that. You know, I mean, the, the problem with this addition thing is you, you're never ready for another baby. You're never, you're never ready for another baby. Am I right? I, I mean, it, 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 you just can't possibly have enough money ready. You can't have enough room ready. You can't have enough love. You don't think you're going to have enough love. You do. But it, it, and I'm not, if, you don't have, if you don't have your kids yet, if you don't have any kids, can I just tell you this? Your children are, just, just look, look at me in the eye. They are going to cost you way more money than you possibly imagine. Can I get an amen? Way more money, okay? So, you know, I mean, and, and that's, not just in, you know, that's not just in treasure, it's also in time. I love this picture somebody sent me. Um, you will never sleep in again. Mm. <laughs> They are going to cost you. It is expensive. And here's what I will say. If you wait until you have everything together, you're never going to do it. I'm not just saying that for the benefit of my two married daughters who are watching on the internet. If you wait until you have everything together, it's never going to work. You're never going to have it all put together. Can you understand me? So sometimes you just got to go. And that's what we've been doing. 
So if you're involved in Cannonball and you have been involved in Cannonball and you made an extra pledge like a bunch of us did, stay faithful to it. We're going to try to close this thing out by the end of the year and have the things that we wanted to do. Stay faithful in it. If you were around and you didn't get the chance to participate, jump in. You can still help us make a wave. We're still mid-splash in this thing. Jump in. Help us out. Think about what you can do to, to help us. And if you're new, I know obviously we've grown a lot since we did this campaign two years ago. Jump in and help us too. We need you. We've got, we've got kids that are being born all over the place and we don't know what to do with them and we need you. Another thing I would suggest is that you connect. We, uh, I, I did the teaching for this Y series on DVD, so you're going to be able to have uh, the opportunity to do the very most simple thing you could possibly do in leading a small group. So I want to ask you to become a host home for just your own friends, your own people, whoever you want, on your communication card, write, okay, I'll take a DVD, I'll be a host, put your email address on there, and turn it in at Community Life with the people, crazy people with the polka dots back in the back, on your way out, and say, hey, I want to do this. What, what what, is that, what does it mean to be a host? It means you have a heart for people, all right? You open up your home or a place for them to meet. You serve some snacks, really simple, and you turn on the DVD. That's a host, all right? That's all I got to do. Have a heart for people, open up a place to meet, serve some snacks, and, and, and turn on a DVD. You don't have to answer their questions. You don't have, you know, you're like, I don't know why suffering. That's not my job. I turn on the DVD. You sh- that's it, Okay. Watch the video. That's all we're doing. And I, and I don't want you, I'm not like sign up and, and do this so that you can, we can throw people in your group. You just fill your own group. Make your own thing. You got friends. If you don't have friends, you need to get in a group with us. But if you got friends, you should just invite them to come and, and, and let them hang out. Do it with your family. Six weeks. So that you can be connected. So that you can be connected with other people. And then the third thing that we always talk about between these three things is, is to serve. And of course, that means kids' ministry. Our kids' ministry is up like 30% since we started Cannonball. It's up more than our weekend attendance. We were parking. I mean, we've got more parking now. We're going, to have, we're going to need more ushers and more things as this building gets done. We're going to need you. A student ministry needs you. There are a lot of places around here that need you. But don't, it's not about here. Just go serve somewhere. Just go serve somewhere. I had the best thing happen a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's a long story that I'm going to tell you about in January, but I found out that a woman in our church was running a homeless ministry downtown out of her house. It wasn't, I mean, it, 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 Windy City Live came and interviewed her and she was on TV talking about her homeless ministry. And it wasn't something that I asked her to do. It wasn't an officially sanctioned Parkview thing. She just had a heart for the homeless and she went and started a homeless ministry. That's, that's what I'm saying. There are open doors all around you. What is it that God's asking you to do? Just go through the door. You don't need to go, hey, can I go to the door? I need a pastor's note to go through the door. No, you don't. Just go through the door. You're a believer. You're supposed to go and make disciples. That's what's supposed to happen. And as a church, please understand this. It's never going to be about you. Jesus said, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not lose the, leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Have you seen that great classic picture of Jesus with the little lamb on his shoulders? And then he calls his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Why did Jesus tell that 
parable, that story. Because the people in the church were upset with Jesus for hanging out with sinners. The people in the church were upset that the church was spending so much of their resources on the people who were outside of the door. And they were not happy about it. And sheep were just like people. They were starting to think about themselves. They were saying, what about me? Let let, let me just tell you something. If you are invested in the kingdom of heaven in any way, it is never going to be about you. Never, ever. Rick Warren started his book that way. It's not about you. It's never going to be about you because there's more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sinner who repents than 99 who don't need to. And Jesus said himself, my purpose statement is to seek and save that which was lost. So whatever you understand about Parkview Christian Church, understand that if that's Jesus' purpose statement, if that's Jesus' strategy, that's going to be our strategy. Bill Hybel said, from Willow Creek said, uh, I go through the mail every day, and uh, I try to go through the mail before my wife does so I can get the catalogs and throw them away before she gets a chance to see them, <laughs> right? I do that too. And, um, and he said, you know, one day I was going through the mail, and I, and I just threw, you know, everything that was not important in the trash, and, and there was one of those cards that had the, have you seen me, lost kids on them. You know how they send those out like the milk carton, they send those cards out, and the, have you seen me cards. And he said it was laying in the trash can and these two kids' faces were staring at me. And something hit me. He said, I just felt like I just threw those kids away. And then I argued with myself and I said, well, those aren't my kids. (laughs) And then the other side of myself said, yeah, but if they were, what would you do? I mean, if those are your kids... You wouldn't be very happy about somebody throwing the flyer away. As a matter of fact, you'd do everything you could do night and day to go find those kids. You would put, you would put these up on trees and, and telephone poles. You would be on the television. You would use your resources. You would do anything you could to help find those lost children. Bill said, then the thought hit me. That's how God feels about all of those people that are outside the door. Those are His children. And He will use all of the resources. He will use all of us. The mission that He's given us is to be able to go out and to find them and to bring them home. Do you understand that? That's our mission. That's our vision. I don't know where it's going to take us. I don't know what we're going to do. When I was listening to that song just before, I'm just amazed as we stand on this mountaintop and look at all the things that God has done. But I think we can get more out of this baby. I really, really do. You just better hang on. I heard a story from one of my elders this week that he hadn't told me before. He was uh, in a Bible study with me, in a men's Bible study, and we were down like in the Mokina area, and, and he didn't know his way around because he's from Palos. And so he, as we were leaving, he was like, you know, I got here, but I'm not sure I can get out of this subdivision. I'm not sure exactly where I'm at. Can I follow you out? Because he knew he had to go kind of back by my house to get back out and go. And I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, just follow me out. And then, you know, chatted with a few more people, and I got in my car, and, and I totally forgot. <laughs> I know, shock, right? The Adderall was worn off by 10 o'clock at night, you know, and so I'm like totally forgot so I just drove off well he was in his car and he saw me drive off so he tried to follow me and uh, he said you know at one point I had to make a decision if I was going to follow you and break the law because you were going a little fast or if I was just going to try to find my way out and he said I decided to follow you 
which turned out to be a bad idea because the police officer didn't see you go by that fast. He just saw me go by that fast. And I got pulled over. And the police officer said, well, why were you going so fast? And he said, I had nothing to lose. So I said, well, believe it or not, I was following my pastor. (laughs) And the officer laughed and he said, well, that's a new one. I haven't heard that one before. I'll give you that. Who's your pastor? Rick said, Tim Harlow. The cop laughed even louder. And he said, well, don't follow that guy anymore. And he let him go. So thank you. Thank you, uh, Mokina police officer, whoever you are, it goes to park you. Listen, I, I shouldn't be speeding. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to break the law. Sometimes I just get all jacked up on Mountain Dew. That's who I am. But when it comes to my calling, when it comes to my purpose and the vision for this church, I just have to warn you, if you want to take life slow, if you want to not take any chances, if you want to be, you know, a Christian that just gives a little here and, you know, shows up a little here, don't follow me because I'm, I'm going to go fast. But if you want to have a fun and rewarding faith with goals and dreams that, that could only be attainable if God gets involved, which is exactly where we're at right here, if that's the kind of faith that you want to have, stay right behind me so that I don't lose you. And I promise I'll pay your ticket. <laughs> What's going to be the story of your life is the question. I, I, you know that I took this trip to Israel. A lot of you know I took a trip to Israel in May, which was uh, phenomenal. 55 people from Parkview. It was phenomenal right up until the very last day when one of our members had a heart attack and died right on the streets of Jerusalem. And the thing I love about Tom is that Tom was a guy who lived that way with a faith that only, you know, things could happen if God was involved. He had a faith that was just so amazing to me. And, uh, and when I baptized, I mean, I baptized him two days before he died, him and Pam. I baptized them in the Jordan River. I got baptized in the Jordan River by my wife and kid. I'd never done that before. And we baptized a bunch of people. We had a lady that didn't speak English that came up out of nowhere. Spanish-speaking woman just came up and wanted to get baptized with our group. We still don't even know who she is. She was just like, saw our group. She's like, hey, can I do this? So, or, you know, however you say that in Spanish. And we were like, yeah, found somebody that translated and we baptized her. It was a surreal moment to be at the Jordan River. Not probably exactly the site where Jesus was baptized, but a very, you know, you know very revered and holy holy site where people, groups all over were, were getting baptized. And, and, and Tom on that day was wearing Chuck Taylor tennis shoes. And only some of you will get my reference on that one. Chucks were uh, like, you know, when, when we were in high school, when we were back in school in the day, they were the, they were the cool, you know, they kind of come and gone, but they were the cool shoes back in the day. And I said, hey, tell me about the shoes. And he's like, oh, these shoes have a journey, my friend. These shoes have been on a journey. So I'm going to get baptized in my Chucks, and then I'm going to retire them. Going to kind of kind of be a you know a life moment for me, not just the baptism, but the baptism in my Chuck Taylors, whatever that represented. And I'm like, that's so cool. Could I wear your Chuck Taylors after you're done and baptize everybody else? Because I you know I just think that's I think that's a fun story. I'd love I'd love to do that too. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So I did. I baptized people in his Chuck Taylors, and um, and then then I did it. I couldn't pass up the moment. So I did a cannonball in the Jordan River. 
it just felt like the right thing to do, and I'll show you the video. But notice in the video that I did a cannonball in the Jordan River in Tom's Chuck Taylor's. And uh, when he died, we pulled his uh, money clip out of his pocket. It said no regrets on it. it. It was a pretty great tribute to a guy two days later who went from old Jerusalem to new Jerusalem immediately. He was a guy that lived his life with no regrets. And, and at the very last things that he did, it was a testimony to somebody who was willing to jump in and make some waves. I got to ask you, what's going to be the story of your life? Thank you for what you've done. Lord, this isn't anything about me. It's not about us. It's about you. And it's just about us following your mission. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, some of you may be sitting out there going, well, I'm not sure I've ever walked through the door. Listen to this scripture. <clears throat> Jesus said, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. We're getting ready to eat. You're invited to the table. The night before he was betrayed, Jesus was having the Last Supper with his disciples. And he passed the bread and he said, I want you to eat this. Remember me, my body. He passed the cup. He said, I want you to drink and remember my blood. This is what I want to do together. We're getting ready to do that. And, and Jesus just said, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'm going to come in and we're going to eat. That's what's going to happen. And it can happen for you right now. As we take communion, I just want to ask you to spend a moment in listening to the knock of God. If you're a believer, I want you to spend a moment just thinking about where's the light creaking in through that door somewhere that God wants me to walk through, not some clergy person, not somebody else. Where are the doors that God wants me to walk through? Let's pray together. Let's ask. God, I thank you for <clears throat> the so many open doors. Boy, I did not know when I walked through the door 23 and a half years ago to this church what was ahead of me. But I knew you felt, I felt like you were calling me. We felt like you were calling us. And I'm so glad we've been able to be on this journey. And I just am so looking forward to what the rest of this journey is going to look like. But that's a corporate thing, not an individual thing. I don't know what individual journey you've got for me, the doors that are open in front of me. And because even though I'm a pastor, I'm also a Christian, and I know I've got things I'm supposed to do myself personally. Lord, there are people in this room who don't know if they've walked through the door, or maybe they know they haven't. Would you just help them to listen for your knock? Because all they're supposed to do is open. You'll come in if they will open. Just help them to open the door right now and say, Hey, Jesus, let's have dinner. Maybe, maybe they're not even ready to submit to you and say they want you to be their, your, your Lord and, their Lord and Savior yet. Maybe they're not ready to say, okay, I'm going to be a disciple. Maybe they just need to crack the door open and say, hey, come in, let's talk. Whatever it is, Lord, just take them to the next step, the next place.
Let the door be open. And let us walk through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.